0: This morning we are in week four of our Church at Philippi series. Y'all enjoying this series? We liking it? Yep, yep, thank you. Come on, that was a nice long, oh, I like that, appreciate that. Um, and uh, I, I personally, I love, I've enjoyed going through this series, one, just because it's such an encouragement and it's one of the things that I love about the Word of God is that the Word of God is timeless. You know, not everything is timeless. I think we all know that. You know, especially, you know, I just celebrated my 38th birthday last Sunday. Come on. Woo! And, uh, you know, I've gotten to the point where I have to actually put forth effort to find current analogies and stories. Because all the TV shows and music references that I make are usually just going... Right over people. Like, I mentioned Alf. Nobody knows what Alf was. Thank you, three people. I mean, you know it's bad when you, like, mention, you, you, like, almost completely quote the intro to Reading Rainbow. And, like, five people are, like, awesome. And the rest are, like, that's a nice poem. Thanks. You know, take a look. It's in a book. It's cool. It rhymes. Way to be encouraged. Right? I have no idea. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Um, But what I've loved about this is just the encouragement that we received from Paul. Paul was writing to one of the first churches that he helped plant. This was a really interesting uh, church in that it was birthed. Out of the, one of the most unlikely of scenarios. In fact, if you were to lay out the different strategies for this, ch- for church planting, and there's tons of books nowadays for church planters that people that want to step out and begin a new missional community in a city. And in all of the books, you will not find this strategy in them. The strategy that kind of unfolded was Paul gets thrown in prison. Him and Silas, they were out ministering to somebody, help a girl get free. Essentially, she was being pimped. They help her get free. Pimp gets upset. He gets thrown in jail. Not a great scenario, not a great start to your church plant, just letting you know. I was not incarcerated during this church plant. Not thus far, not thus far. Um, But out of that, through a wild set of circumstances, which God completely shows up, Uh, the uh, Reader's Digest version is, rather than be condemned, be discouraged, Paul starts singing worship songs. We don't know which one. I'd like to figure that one out, because I'd like to use it sometime. I think Michael Schofield probably knows it. Prison Break Reference. Again, you probably don't know it. Um, But, The chains fall off. They get set free. The jailer he starts freaking out. He's like, "Wait, what's going on? I'm going to be killed." Paul's like, "No, you're not. You're going to get saved. Your whole family gets saved." And then here's our church plant. Boom. So it's an amazing situation, and they jump on board. They are supporters of Paul. Now Paul is writing this letter from prison. This is kind of a recurring situation because during this time it was not a popular thing to be a follower of the way. It was particularly not a popular thing to declare that someone that is not Caesar is Lord. Uh, And so because of this, he found himself writing many of these letters while being incarcerated or in house arrest. And so as we look at this passage and, and throughout this book, I want to remind us that the Christian faith is not a faith that only works in great situations. The Christian faith is not a faith that finds its power in, you know, the hunky-dory times of our life, but, actually, but then falls apart when life's uh, storms come. The joy and the peace and the love that we talk about is not one that comes without opposition. It is not one that comes without challenge. It is not one that comes without trial. And quite frankly, I'm thankful for that because I don't know about you. I have challenges in my life. I have trials and I have opposition. And so it's important that we read these words and that we take hold of these things with that backdrop. This word is a real word. It's the true living word of God that is activated, not in an imaginary world, but in the very real world that we live in for real people like you and me. So if you would, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. It's found in the New Testament. We're going to begin. We're going to continue. Last week we finished chapter 1. And now we begin in chapter 2. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful this morning I'm so grateful for not only the example, but the person of Jesus. Lord, help us, Lord, to see your word and see your truth. Reveal your truth to us, Lord. Cut through all of the images that we have had plastered up on the walls of our mind. And Lord, help us to walk in your truth. Help us to love each other. In your truth, Lord, help us to face the adversity and the challenges that come. Lord, not by our own strength, but by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Gabby. There is nothing like being on a great team, right? There's just something about... A team when it's clicking, when it's when every piece is working and every person's gift mix is just complementing just right, that makes being a part of a team just a joy. You know, I don't know how many of you have been following the NBA, but uh, the Golden State Warriors just swept LeBron James. Right? I say LeBron. It's like LeBron and the other guys. We know it's the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you're from Cleveland, God bless you. We're praying for you. The presence of God is here. There's going to be healing afterwards uh, because we know he's leaving. So there's that. You know LeBron ain't staying. Anyway, uh, but one of the things that's amazing is they have this super team, and people talk about, you know, if you don't know, the Golden State Warriors boast the fact that they have four all-stars On this roster. And not only do they have a great and unfathomable and in some ways unprecedented number of all stars in their prime, but they also have like the role players of role players. One of the players that they have, one of the seasoned uh, vets that they have is David West. He was here, part of the Indiana Pacers, he was one of the true leaders of the Pacers during that era and they just have him like as just a bonus. He's just on the side giving sage wisdom to the young whippersnappers and helping them not to get uh, technicals like Lance Stevenson. Um, I just imagine just that's a simple you know learning lesson. Don't blow in LeBron's ear and we're good. Um, But one of the things that they talk about this team that's just so incredible is the fact that you've got all these alpha dogs, you've got all of these different players, but the thing about them is that they, they all function as one. They all function as one team. They, there's no egos, and, and, and I'm sure that there's egos, but they have chosen that among their egos, they're not going to let any one person's ego sabotage their one goal, which is a championship. And so they sacrifice. They, they, they choose to take different roles so that the whole uh, of the team can function and operate properly. Now, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys. I, I, part of why I appreciate a great team and, a, and, and can stand in awe of a great team is because I've been a part of some not so great teams at times. Right? Like, if anybody, maybe you in, in rec sports or college or school sports or whether you were in show choir or marching band. Any marching band people out here? Any Piccolos? Okay, no. Okay, one hand. All right, we need to do an evangelism over there. Uh, but, uh, or, the, you know, the one thing that, that I don't know, depending on, on who you were in this, anybody just like or dislike group projects in school? If you like the group projects in school, raise your hand. Okay, if you dislike the group projects in school, raise your hand. See, the, okay, keep your hands up if you dislike the group projects. You are the reason I love group projects, all right? So my wife, she hated group projects. One of the things I love, one of my favorite group projects we were we were doing this project for our, our um, uh, science class, and we had to build, like, the tallest tower that could hold the most weight and not break and I just the Lord was just smiling upon me because I got in this class with a friend of ours, you know who I'm talking about, Jason Holly, and uh her dad was an architect. I'm like, oh, we got an A, we got an A. I mean, I didn't do anything. I just signed my name on that paper. And that, that thing even went to like the Science Olympiad. I mean, it was like, and and hey, I was in the mix because I was on the team, right? It's like the bench players that get a ring even though they didn't do anything. You're just like, yes, I got drafted just right, you know. But on the flip side, those of you who can't stand them, it's usually because you got that responsibility chip. And it's like, man, nobody's doing anything, but I got to get an A. And so you carry that weight. And you just hate being on a team where not everybody is on the same page. And when I think about these components, you think, you know, a great team, what are some of the components of a great team? Talent is a big factor, right? You, you want to have a talented crew. Depending on what you're doing, talent matters. When it comes to this worship team, I'm thankful for our worship team. We've got a great team. Can we give them a hand? You know what I'm saying? As a worship pastor for 16 years, I'd have these interviews with people. And, you know, I'd get questions all the time. People say, what do you say to somebody who has a heart to worship but they're just not very good? And I would say, congratulations, you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you should have a heart to worship, but you won't get a microphone. <laughs> because that requires a certain talent, a certain set of skills that you lack. So, you know, there's great openings in City Kids ministry. We'd love to redirect you. No. But but the thing is, talent matters in some dynamics. Talent's a big factor. You want to have the right kind of talent mix, and not everybody has to be the same. Thank God, not everybody's the same. You know, within a team, you've got different people that play different roles. But ta- talent is a factor. The other factor of a great team that that you know definitely comes into play is work ethic, right? If if you a great team is when everybody is carrying weight that you don't feel like you like one person isn't doing. of the work, and and another person is doing like 10% of the work, and then everybody else is splitting. No, 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 a great team, one that you enjoy is when everybody is owning it. Everybody is showing up. Everybody is involved and engaged and sacrificing. It's a great quality of a great team. Another factor is, and I would say, if not the most important factor. You know, you can have talent. You can have people that work hard. But one of the most essential, and one of the things we're going to talk about today, is that there is unity. Unity. Because you can have talented, hardworking people pulling in a completely different direction. Especially, I don't know if any of you, uh, if any any firstborns are married to firstborns in here, but uh, that's me. And I'm a firstborn, firstborn of seven. My wife is a firstborn of three. And we have talents and we, have, we like to work, and we're strong-willed, and we're stubborn, and we are kind of like sometimes the horses that like to move in the wrong directions. Not wrong, different, right? And so what happens is, man, we can be passionate, we can be excited, we can have energy, we can have zeal, but if we don't have a unity of mind in what it is that we're trying to accomplish, we will not succeed. And what Paul is exhorting the church here is he's helping them understand that in order to truly make his joy complete, yes, you can experience the comfort in Jesus. We love the comfort and the encouragement that comes from the Lord. Yes, we can experience the the joy of being a part of the family of God, the joy of his presence. But he says, if you want to make my joy complete, you need to be of one mind. There's a unity that you want to tap into. Now, if there is a word or a phrase or a concept that, in my opinion, has been incredibly overused, incredibly overpromised, and tremendously underdelivered, it's the word unity. Particularly when it comes to the political spectrum and the cultural spectrum. There's such a... a, a, a celebration or a call or a constant cry for oneness and unity, and yet so many times because our pursuit is for this nebulous sense of unity that is very seldom defined, rather than the unifier himself, it inevitably will always fail and fall short. You know, there's a lot of things that you can be unified in. We're not just called to be unified for unity's sake. Y'all with me this morning? There's plenty of people, you know, uh, you get the right combination of any, any segment, any popularity, any desire. I mean, when you think of community, what is community? Community is, is a people group or a collective that has found common unity in a thing or, or an objective or uh, a desired treasure. When you think of you know, the movie, the, the sequel to the Ocean's Eleven series is getting ready to come out. And you got thieves that are unified, not for the right thing, but there's unity. Every organization for good or for bad has to find some form of unity in order to accomplish anything. And so if the goal is unity, you'd think we'd accomplish this kind of thing that Paul is calling the church to, and yet we haven't. And I believe that it has to do with three specific requirements. Not just this nebulous kumbaya we are the world sense, but a true, sustainable, unshakable unity. A unity that produces joy in the midst of sorrow. A unity that can withstand adversaries and and conflict and persecution. A unity that exudes love beyond our understanding. That's what I want to talk about. The first ingredient that I believe is necessary and that Paul lays out here. He says in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The first ingredient, the first non-negotiable to true life-giving unity is humility. There is no unity without humility. There is no unity without humility. I love how Paul puts it, how he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, and he says, but in humility do what? Count others more significant than yourselves. We are such a selfish culture. We are a culture that's all about me. I'm all about me, I'm all about my way, and our unity, or ten, what tends to be is our uh, our reconciliation comes not when we not when i humble myself but when you come to the revelation that i am right are y'all there y'all with me y'all know this if you have been in a relationship whether it's a silly relationship you know i I've, i can't tell you how many times i got in a fight and you realize you're like if only they would recognize that they are wrong and i am right we would be in unity right It happens on a microcosmic level. In our direct relationships, it happens on a broad level. If only they would get us. If only they would understand. And we elevate and we magnify and we puff up ourselves, our opinion, our preferences, the way we like things. And then we become, we create enemies and we create, uh, we we demonize the other side. If we're going to walk in unity, it requires that you don't have to agree with everything that everyone thinks. Paul is not saying, hey, just like, you know, everybody just accepted, everybody says. No, he's saying it's about the attitude and the posture in which we had towards them. Do you understand that the person, it doesn't matter how much you disagree with someone. It doesn't matter how wicked you perceive that they are. Every human being was fashioned by the hand of God and bears the image of Jesus. Everyone. And we live in such a world that puts each other at enmity and creates enemies and, 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 and we have this adversarial culture where you can't be, I can't even honor you as a handmade craft of God because I can't get over this area that we disagree in. One of the things I really appreciate about um, about the, uh, when I look at the example of David in Scripture, King David, is that he was in a situation where the king, King Saul at the time, was actively trying to kill him, was actively trying to snuff him out because of insecurity and fear, And recognizing that David was about to take the throne. And David had every opportunity to take him out. Every opportunity to exact his revenge and to ascend to a position of power and influence. And yet, because David's heart was after God, David chose honor over revenge. Every opportunity. David had his buddies, and, and they were kind of hiding out. They were, they were avoiding the, the pursuit of King Saul as he was trying to apprehend David and snuff him out. And David and his band of all kinds of people, you know, some of them were great guys, some of them were just there for a good fight. They're jeering him. They're trying to instigate it. Hey, man, do you see the way he looked at you, David? Oh, you going to let him look at you like that? Oh, no, man, you should take that to get, take him out. They're instigating, and yet David did not allow every other circumstance that was telling him he should think higher of himself to cause him to walk in dishonor. There are some areas where you, and you know this, when it comes to certain topics, when it comes to certain people groups, when it comes to maybe it's not an ethnic thing. Everybody freaks out when we start talking about racism. I'm not a racist. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe classism is your thing. Maybe there's an educational arrogance that you operate in where you look down on people's opinion because they don't have as many degrees as you do. Or maybe because someone has money, you automatically assume that they're racist and they're arrogant and they're bigots just because you grew up in a different side of town. We have to walk. If we're going to walk in unity, it begins by walking in humility, by recognizing that each and every one of us Each and every one of us were made and fashioned by God. That no one in here is better than the other because of some amount of money, some prestige, some family that you came out of or were born into. We have to make humble ourselves and make ourselves low, so that we can hear one another below the screaming sounds of our pride. There is no unity without humility. The second ingredient, the second component that is incredibly crucial to us walking in unity is sacrifice. It says in verse four, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. When I think about, this Golden State Warriors team and the championship they won. and You know, a lot of times when it comes to basketball players, they have incentives built in to their contracts that they don't get certain monies unless they get certain accolades and awards. Uh, When Paul George, his last year that he was here in Indianapolis, one of the things that people were kind of uh, teetering on is that there was a uh, contractual benefit that was released, an incentive that was released if he made uh, one of the All NBA teams, or if he made the defense, the All Defensive Team, and then it would release more money, millions of dollars more, and would incentivize him to stay uh, in and, and keep him here in Indiana. You know what? That whole trade it worked out for us. Way to be able to Depot, anyway. But because of that, because of the incentives built in, a lot of times a player, when they're thinking, should I pass? Should I shoot it? There's more incentive for them to serve their own goals and, and purposes and selfish desires than to be a team player. And sometimes you can see that. You know, if you have ever watched the end of a professional game and the game is pretty much over, but you see some of these, like, scrub players still try to get a layup, it's because they're trying to get that next contract. They're trying to up the averages. And sometimes within the culture, within our lives, within our relationships, even in the church, So much of our service is motivated not out of sacrifice, it's motivated out of positioning. Are you serving? Are you going the extra mile at work to truly be a servant or just to get a promotion or to elevate yourself above the next person? You know, in Nashville, when I lived in Nashville, we had certain requirements to serve on the worship team. If you're going to have a mic, if you're going to be on stage, You were also going to help serve in other ways. And so it was a requirement that if you were going to serve, you had to set up, be on the set-up team for three weeks before you could get a microphone. And Nashville, you know, it's it's legendary for lots and lots of musicians. And so we had no, we had an endless stream of people who were looking for a platform, people that were looking for promotion, people that moved from wherever city they grew up in, you know, whether it was like... Muncie, or you know, some backwoods place in Alabama, because they're coming to pursue their Christian or their country music dream. And they would come, and as soon as they heard that they had to serve before they could sing, you'd be amazed at how many people just walked out the door and went to find another church because they didn't really want to serve. They wanted a platform. They had an agenda. They didn't want to sacrifice. I don't want to sacrifice my time. I don't want to sacrifice my career. I don't want to sacrifice my energy, my, 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 my. But if we're going to walk in real unity, it requires sacrifice. It requires you dying to self and things that you have held up and you have held closely to surrender them to the Lord. Now, when I talk about sacrifice, I'm not talking about compromise, in, in, a, in an integrity or a biblical sense. See, there are things that we uphold that we're not holding up the Scripture. We're holding up our cultural preferences. We like to clothe them in the Scripture, put a nice little coat of spiritualism on it, so it makes us feel a little bit more spiritual. But really what it comes down to is, well, this is just the way my grandmama did it. This is the way my daddy did it. This is the way we did it in the neighborhood. Those things, those things that are not the gospel, we have to surrender them. We have to be willing to sacrifice our time. It takes time to have a conversation and build unity with somebody that you don't understand or a culture that you don't understand. If you think that you're going to come to a place of agreement and reconciliation, particularly cross culturally without sitting down and having some real conversations and some very awkward reactions and responses without giving offense, you're deceived. It doesn't, it's beyond ethnicity, it's generational. You know, you can so easily dismiss millennials and just say, oh, millennials are this, millennials are that, and elevate your perception, your identity, your ideal, because that's everything that you've built upon, and completely sacrifice one of the most amazing, most powerful, and most innovative generations. Millennials, on the other hand, can be like, ah, we're amazing! Let's do all the stuff and completely ignore the wisdom of those that have gone before them and just think, ah, you guys didn't get it. You're just about the law and completely miss an opportunity to be grounded and rooted in truth and have a platform from which to launch and do amazing things. But it takes us sacrificing, sacrificing our concepts, sacrificing sometimes our timelines. Do you understand that sometimes the way that God is calling you to walk in unity feels slower than what you want to run? Y'all with me this morning? Sometimes for the sake of unity, it requires that we go, that we change our tempos so that we can walk together. Some of us need to speed up. Some of us need to slow down. But all of us will be called to sacrifice. Now, if it only took humility and sacrifice, we should have been able to figure this out. If that's it, if that's all we need for biblical, God-honoring, life-giving, joy-exploding, unity of mind, then surely we could have had it by now. Why is there so much division around us? Why do we constantly, constantly, constantly hear the cries for unity and oneness and yet see more and more brokenness? Because the reality is we are broken. We are a hot mess. Even our best efforts end up being self serving. That's just how we have been born into a sin nature. And the most benevolent, the most seemingly generous in our own mind will still end up calling people not to unity, but something that just benefits us. There's not a human on the planet that's walked us out perfectly, except for one. And that's why Paul, he doesn't put us, he doesn't give us a 10-step practice. He doesn't give us, you know, this breakdown of like if you do these three things and you cut this out, then unity should happen. He points to the person of Jesus. He says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. True, life giving, joy completing, love filled unity can only be found in Christ. Christ is not just our example of unity, He's not just our example of humility, He's not just our example of sacrifice. We don't get to have any of that truly apart from him. Christ embodied humility. He came from heaven above with no need for us. Sometimes we think that God needs us. God didn't need us. God made us because he desired for us to experience the joy that he already had. He wasn't up there thinking, man, it's really kind of boring. I mean, I like you, you other two, but mean you know. uh. We could use a bigger room. We could use more people. It'd be fun. No, he birthed us out of plenty. He didn't have to come and pursue us to be reconciled to himself. But Jesus came. And he came and he made himself low. I don't know if you've ever, you know, how many of you like shopping? I don't like shopping. Generally, I don't like shopping because depending on the store you go to, XL means nothing. Like, double X means nothing. Especially if I see a shirt that says double X slim, I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> I mean, I know some of you be amazed, you know, I don't really have the slim figure. You know, I'd go to this store called Structure or Express for Men. I just kind of walk in and look at ties and socks. Because I know that when I put on this shirt, the glory that is John Owens is going to feel confined and constrained. Right? Now, for a moment, imagine that you are the God of the universe. That you are not bound by time. Literally, all of time and all of history is like one of those little sand timers that you see in the board games. You're massive. You breathe and galaxies are born. And in your own choosing, you choose to be confined into the flesh of those you created. Some of us find it hard just to deal with kids in K through 5 and to speak on their level and hear the all knowing, all powerful, all sufficient God made himself low. Humbled himself to walk among us, to deal with the everyday pains and insecurities that we deal with. To what I mean, can you imagine like Jesus in all of his power and all of his glory, like dealing with bullying? Like, I could not be God, I'd be just like, go to hell, and then they'd be, they'd go to hell because I was God and I get to decide those things, right. I could not be God, but he was. And he was and he restrained himself. And he humbled himself. And not only did he humble himself, but he sacrificed himself for people who could not appreciate it. Have you ever done something beyond, even just beyond a a group project, that you put time into, effort into, all kinds of work into, and then you presented it to somebody and you're waiting for the expression, they're like, oh, thanks, Um, so, blah, 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 blah. they just move on. One of the things that drives me crazy, and I just get on my kids, I'm like, when we're opening presents, whether it's your birthday or your Christmas, the sentence I don't want to hear is, where's my next present? Slap! Oh, my gosh, that drives me crazy. You know, I'm like, no, enjoy, receive it, celebrate it, give them a hug, tell them you love them, I don't care if they got a lot of perfume on, that's okay. He sacrificed himself, knowing that we would reject him, knowing that we wouldn't even realize what was being done on our behalf. He is not just an example. All unity is found in him. He is the great reconciler. He is the one that makes us one with God. We as a people of God, we are comprised of people with many different talents and skills, many different experiences and preferences, many different worship preferences, wounds, all that. And we won't ever, honestly, I believe that until Jesus returns there's going to be certain things that certain denominations will never agree upon. I don't care how many times we sing songs about unity and make us one. When I look at Revelation, there's a lot of different people from a lot of different tribes, and I bet they get to heaven and be like, oh, really? Y'all made it? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> it just I just think that's what's going to be the case, you know. I'm just going to be like, whoo, I made it. Hallelujah. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> My gosh, yes, I don't even smell like smoke. Hallelujah. But the one thing that Paul causes to, He's not calling us to uniformity. He's not calling us to sameness. We don't have to all be the same, do the same, have the same haircut, wear the same pants, the same skirt length. He's calling us to be one in Christ. That is the only hope for true unity is oneness in Christ. And anything that is contrary to the person of Jesus and to the gospel will never produce unity no matter how many times they say it, we say it, we promote it. It will always end up in damage and division. And so I want to exhort us in the same way that Paul exhorted the Philippian church. For those of us that have come into faith, I want to challenge you. Take time. Read over the scripture in your own time. Take notes, get your pen, get your notebook, and begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what are the things in my life that I have elevated above your word that I've elevated and the things that even in me that I've elevated above other people that you're calling me to sacrifice and lay down? He will let you know. He's so faithful that way. And he's so gracious. I'm so thankful that there's times where I'm just blind to certain areas of my life and the Holy Spirit is so merciful to let me know, hey, I got grace for that, but you got to let that go. I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and and help you not only walk and know the things to sacrifice, but to walk in humility and see yourself appropriately so that even those who you Don't like or can't stand or have blocked on Facebook. You can love appropriately with the love of Jesus. There there are people who I know you probably can't stand, and they can't stand you, but you are one in the blood. That just gets uncomfortable sometimes. Lord, help us. Help us walk in the humility to be able to see people the way you see them and not the way we want to perceive them because they disagree with us. But the most important thing is that we acknowledge, as Paul says in the end of the scripture, that God has highly exalted Jesus, and he has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The most important thing is recognizing that Jesus is Lord, that he's the king, that he's the ruler, that he's the boss, that there is no name above his name and it's not just because of a label, it's because he demonstrated it and he lived it out in a way that none of us ever could. That because of him, We can walk in right standing with God and walk in right standing with each other. Not that we have to have it perfect because we never will, but we can be in the perfect one. He has made himself available to us. Let us not lose sight of him in the midst of our pursuits of unity. He can't just be somebody in the room. He has to be the centerpiece of our lives and our relationships. Be wary of cultural calls for unity that don't require him in the center. There will be none. Are you all with me this morning? Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. I don't care how much. It is just God wants you to know. He does not want you to be deceived with fake calls for oneness. There's a lot of things that people want to be one with that have nothing to do with him. And that will bring death and destruction. If you want life, if you want this unity, it begins by knowing Him, by learning how to trust Him and allowing Him to call you to humility and sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, I'm just so grateful that you did not leave us, you did not leave us in our brokenness. Lord, that you don't just laugh and mock us at our attempts for oneness. But, Lord, you have given us access. Jesus, that through your sacrifice and through your blood, through your body broken for us, that we celebrated and recognized that you have made it available to us to not only be reconciled to you, but to be reconciled with one another here on this earth. Lord, I ask that you'd help us in the midst of a culture, particularly in the United States, that is so bent on creating division and creating monsters out of people who don't agree with us. Lord, that you'd help us to know how to disagree in the right way. That you'd teach us how to disagree and yet not dishonor. That you would help us, Lord, to know how we can navigate with different opinions and yet still acknowledge and, and, and recognize men and women who have been fashioned by you and carry your image. People of different faiths, people of different ethnic backgrounds, even people who identify in different ways sexually, Lord. Help us to be able to love them the way you love them. Help us to be able to have, walk in humility and extend mercy. Help us to walk in kindness so that we can truly represent you well on this earth. And I thank you that your spirit is with us. God, I ask, Lord, for those that are here today who don't know you or maybe have known an image of you, that you would help them, that you would open their eyes, Lord, that you would stir in their hearts a hunger to pursue you and the knowledge of you, Lord, so they would come to know you for themselves, Lord, and not just an image and an imitation of who you are. If you're here this morning and you know that's you, that you have known about God, you've heard about God, you've heard images of him, caricatures of him from different sources, but you want to know him for yourself. You don't want to know just an image, you want to know a person. I want to invite you to come to City Central after church to this, this morning. Come and connect with someone. Let them know, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. This Wednesday, we have an opportunity. We're going through biblical foundations. We started last Wednesday. We're going to continue to the next two weeks. Come. Hear this word. Allow the foundations of the faith to be articulated and and, and allow the Lord to reveal himself to you. Lord, help us to have the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank him for his word this morning? Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.